0: Hi, I'm Masud Muvahedi, and you're listening to Masud Muvahedi Yoga. We continue our topic of Tantra. Breath and consciousness should become one. The breath goes in, you go in. Only then will it be possible to get the point which is between two breaths. It will not be easy. moving with the breath then move out with the breath in, out Buddha tried particularly to use this method so this method has become a Buddhist method in Buddhist terminology it is known as Anapanasati Yoga and Buddha's enlightenment was based on this technique when you are moving with breath minutely when there is no breath how can you remain unaware you will suddenly become aware that there is no breath. And the moment will come when you will feel that the breath is neither going out nor coming in. The breath has stopped completely. Another Zen mystic used to say to his disciples, When you have lost your head meditating, come immediately to me. When you lose your head, come immediately to me. When you begin to feel there is no head, do not be afraid. Come immediately to me. This is the right moment. Now something can be taught to you. With a head, no teaching is possible. The head always comes in between. A doubting mind will remain a doubting mind. Answers are irrelevant. If I give you one answer and you have a doubting mind, you will doubt it. If I give you another answer, you will doubt it. That also you have a doubting mind a doubting mind means you will put a question mark to anything so answers are useless the real problem is not how to answer questions the real problem is how to change the doubting mind how to create a mind which is not doubting or which is trustful when you ask a question you may be asking for many reasons One may be just this, that you want a confirmation. You already know the answer. You have the answer. You just want it to be confirmed that your answer is right. Then your question is false. It is not a question. You may be asking a question not because you are ready to change yourself, but just as a curiosity. The mind goes on questioning. In the mind, questions Comes as the leaves come on the tree. That is the very nature of the mind. To question. So it goes on questioning. It doesn't matter what you are questioning. With anything given to the mind. It will create a question. It is a machine to grind out. To create questions. So give it anything. And it will cut it into pieces. And create many questions. One question answered and the mind will create many questions from the answer. This has been the whole history of philosophy. Bertrand Russell remembers that when he was a child, he thought that one day, when he will be mature enough to understand all philosophy, all questions will be answered. Then later, when he was 80, he said, now I can say that my own questions are there standing. As they were standing when I was a child. No other questions have come up because of these theories of philosophy. So he said when I was young I used to say philosophy is an inquiry for ultimate answers. Now I cannot say it It is an inquiry for endless questions. So one question creates one answer and many questions. The doubting mind is the problem. But how can the doubts be cleared? Will any answer do? Is there any answer which will clear your doubts? Mind is the doubt. It is not that the mind doubts. Mind is the doubt. Unless the mind dissolves, doubts cannot be cleared. Preachers go on preaching. They go on telling people don't be angry. Without giving any technique. And we have heard this teaching for so long that we never even rise the question. What are you saying? I am angry and you simply say don't be angry. How is this possible? When I am angry, it means I am anger. And you just tell me don't be angry. So I can only suppress myself. But that will create more anger. That will create guilt because if I try to change and cannot change myself, that creates inferiority. It gives me a feeling of guilt that I am incapable. I cannot win over my anger. No one can win. You need certain weapons. You need certain techniques. Because your anger is just an indication of a disturbed mind. Change the disturbed mind and the indication will change. Anger is just showing what is within. Change the within and the without will change. This is Tantra's proposition that mind is nothing but subtle matter. It can be changed. And once you have a different mind, you have a different world. Because you look through the mind, the world you are seeing, you are seeing because of a particular mind. Change the mind and when you look, there is a different world. And if there is no mind, that is the ultimate for Tantra. To bring about the state where there is no mind. Then look at the world without a mediator. When the mediator is not, you are encountering the real. Because now no one is between you and the real. Then nothing can be distorted. So Tantra says that when there is no mind... That is the state of Bairabha, a no-mind state. For the first time, you look at the world, at that which is. If you have a mind, you go on creating a world. You go on imposing, projecting. So first change the mind, then change from mind to no mind. The seed is ugly, but when it becomes alive, it is sprouts and flowers. Then there is beauty. Do not throw away the seed because then you are also throwing the flowers in it. They are not there yet, not yet manifest so that you can see them. They are unmanifested, but they are there. Use this seed so that you can attain to flowers. So, first, let there be acceptance a sensitive understanding and awareness. The indulgence is allowed. One thing more which is really very strange, but one of the deepest discoveries of Tantra, and that is, whatsoever you take as your enemies, greed, anger, hate, sex, whatsoever, your attitude that they are enemies makes them your enemies. Take them as divine gifts and approach them with a very grateful heart. For example, Tantra has developed many techniques for the transformation of sexual energy. Approach the sex act as if you are approaching the temple of the divine. Approach the sex act as if it is a prayer. As if it is meditation. Feel the holiness of it. That is why in Kajuro, in Puri, in Konark, India. Every temple has Maitun, inter sculptures. The sex act on the walls of temples seems illogical, particularly for Christianity. It seems inconceivable, contradictory. How is the temple connected with pictures. On the outer walls of the Kojuro temples, every conceivable type of sex act is pictured in a stone. Why? In a temple it doesn't have any place, in our minds at least. Christianity cannot conceive of a church wall with Kojuro pictures. Impossible. Modern Hindus also feel guilty because the minds of modern Hindus are created by Christianity. They are Hindu Christians. And they are worse because to be a Christian is good. But to be a Hindu Christian is just weird. They feel guilty. One Hindu leader even proposed that these temples should be destroyed. That they do not belong to us. It looks like they do not belong to us because Tantra has not been in our hearts for a long time, for centuries. It has not been the main current. Yoga has been the main current. And for Yoga, Kojuro is inconceivable. It must be destroyed. Tantra says, approach the sex act as if you are entering a holy temple. That is why... They have pictured the sex act on their holy temples. They have said approach sex as if you are entering a holy temple. Thus, when you enter a holy temple, sex must be there in order that the two become conjoined in your mind, associated. Then you can feel that the world and the divine are not two fighting elements, but one. They are not contradictory. They are just polar opposites helping each other. And they can exist only because of this polarity. If this polarity is lost, the whole world is lost. So see the deepest oneness running through everything. Do not see only the polar opposites. See the inner running current which makes them one. Tantra says everything is holy. That is why we cannot understand it. It is the deepest non-dual standpoint. If we can call it a standpoint. It is not. Because any standpoint is bound to be dual. It is not against anything. So it is not any standpoint. It is a felt unity. A lived unity. These are two paths. Yoga and Tantra. Tantra could not be so appealing because of our crippled minds. But whenever there is someone who is healthy inside, not a chaos, Tantra has a beauty. Only he can understand what Tantra is. Yoga has appeal, an easy appeal, because of our disturbed minds. Remember, it is ultimately your mind which makes anything attractive or unattractive. It is you who is the deciding factor. These approaches are different. I am not saying that one cannot reach through yoga. One can reach through yoga also, but not through the yoga which is prevalent. The yoga which is prevalent is not really yoga, but the interpretation of your diseased minds. Yoga can be authentically an approach toward the ultimate. But that too is only possible when your mind is healthy. When your mind is not diseased and ill. Then yoga takes a different shape. For example, Mahavira was on the path of yoga. But he was not really suppressing sex. He had known it. He had lived it. He was deeply acquainted with it. But it became useless to him. So it dropped. Buddha was on the path of yoga. But he had lived through the world, he was deeply acquainted with it, he was not fighting. Only you know something, you become free from it. It simply drops like dead leaves dropping from a tree. It is not renunciation. There is no fight involved at all. Look at Buddha's face. It doesn't look like the face of a fighter. He has not been fighting. He is so relaxed. His face is the very symbol of relaxation. No fight. Look at your yogis. The fight is apparent on their faces. Deep down, much turmoil is there. Right now, they are sitting on volcanoes. You can look in their eyes, in their faces, and you will feel it deep down somewhere they have suppressed all their desires, they have not gone beyond. In a healthy world, where everyone is living his life authentically, individually, not imitating others, but living his own life in his own way, both are possible. He may learn the deep sensitivity which transcends desires. He may come to a point where all desires become Futile and drop. Yoga can also lead to this, but to me, yoga will lead to it in the same world where Tantra can lead to it. Remember this. We need a healthy mind, a natural mind. In that world where a natural man is, Tantra and Yoga also will lead to transcendence of desires. In our so-called ill society, neither yoga nor tantra can do this. Because if we choose yoga, we do not choose it because desires have become useless. No. They have still meaningful. They are not dropping by themselves. We have to force them. If we choose yoga, we choose it as a technique of suppression. If we choose tantra, we choose Tantra as a cunningness, as a deep deception, an excuse to indulge. So with an unhealthy mind, neither yoga nor Tantra can work. They will both lead to deceptions. A healthy mind, particularly a sexually healthy mind, is needed to start with. Then it is not very difficult to choose your path. You can choose yoga. You can choose Tantra. There are two types of persons, basically, male and female. I don't mean biologically, but psychologically. For those who are psychologically basically male, aggressive, violent, extrovert, yoga is their path. For those who are basically feminine, receptive, passive, non-violent, tantra is their path. Yoga is outgoing energy. Tantra is energy that moves inward. So you can say in modern psychological terms that yoga is extrovert and tantra is introvert. So it depends on the personality. If you have an introverted personality, then fight is not for you. If you have an extroverted personality, then fight is for you. But we are just confused. We are just in a mess. That's why nothing helps. On the contrary, everything disturbs. Yoga will disturb you. Tantra will disturb you. Every medicine is going to create a new illness for you because the chooser is ill, diseased. So the result of this choice will be illness. I don't mean that through yoga you cannot reach. The emphasis... In here is Tantra. Because we are going to try understand what Tantra is. Methods are not difficult. They are easy. You can train yourself. But for surrender, you cannot train yourself. No training. You cannot ask how to surrender. The very question is absorbed. How can you ask how to surrender? Can you ask how to love? Either there is love or there is not. But you cannot ask how to love. And if someone tells you and teaches you how to love, remember, then you will never be capable of love. Once a technique is given to you for love, you will cling to the technique. That's why actors cannot love. They know so many techniques, so many methods. And we are all actors once you know the trick how to love then love will not flower because you can create a facet a deception and with the deception you are out of it not involved you are protected love is being totally open vulnerable it is dangerous you become insecure we cannot ask how to love we cannot ask how to surrender it happens Love happens. Surrender happens. Love and surrender are deeply one. But what is it? And if we cannot know how to surrender, at least we can know how we are maintaining ourselves from surrendering. How we are preventing ourselves from surrendering. That can be known. And that is helpful. How is it that you have not surrendered yet? What is your technique of non-surrendering? If you have not fallen in love yet, then the real problem is not how to love. The real problem is to dig deep to find how you have lived without love. What is your trick? What is your technique? What is your structure? Your defensive structure? How you have lived without love. That can be understood. And that should be understood. First thing, we live with the ego, in the ego, centered in the ego. I am, without knowing who I am, I go on announcing, I am this. I am-ness is false, because I do not know who I am. And unless I know who I am, how can I say I? This I is a false I. This false eye is the ego. This is the defense. This protects you from surrendering. You cannot surrender. But you can become aware of this defense measure. If you have become aware of it, it dissolves. Step by step, you are not strengthening it. And one day you come to feel I am not. The moment you come to feel I am not, surrender happens. So try to find out whether you are. Is there any center in you that you call? You can call your I? Go deep down within yourself. Go on trying to find out where is this I? Where is the abode of this ego? Rinzai went to his master and he said, Give me freedom. The master said, Bring yourself. If you are, I will make you free. But if you are not, then how can I make you free? You are already free. And freedom, his master said, is not your freedom. Freedom is freedom from you. So go and find out where this I is, where you are. Then come to me this is the meditation, go and meditate so the disciple Rinzai goes and meditates for weeks, months and then he comes, then he says I am not the body, only this much I have found so the master says, this much you have become free go again, try to find out then he tries, meditates, and he finds that I am not my mind because I can observe my thoughts So the observer is different from the observed. I am not my mind. He comes and says, I am not my mind. So his master says, now you are three-fourths liberated. Now go again and find out who you are. So he was thinking, I am not my body. I am not my mind. He had heard, studied. He was well-informed. So he was thinking, I am not my body, not my mind, so I must be my soul, my Atma. But, the, but he meditated, and then he found that there is no Atman, no soul, because this Atma is nothing but your mental information, just doctrines, words, philosophies. So he came running one day, and he said, now I am no more. Then his master said, Am I now to teach you the methods for freedom? Rinzai said, I am free because I am no more. There is no one to be in bondage. I am just a wide emptiness, a nothingness. Only nothingness can be free. If you are something, you will be in bondage. If you are, you will be in bondage. Only a void, a vacant space can be free. Then you cannot bind it. Rinzai came running and said, I am no more. Nowhere am I to be found. This is freedom. And for the first time, he touched his master's feet. For the first time. Not actually, because he had touched them many times before also. But the master said, for the first time, you have touched my feet. Rinzai asked, why do you say for the first time? I have touched your feet many times. The master said, but you were there. So how could you touch my feet while you were already there? While you are there, how can you touch my feet? Then I can never touch anybody's feet. Even though it apparently looks like it touches somebody's feet, it is touching its own feet, just in a roundabout way. You have touched my feet for the first time, the master said. Because now you are no more. And this is also the last time, the master said. The first and the last. Surrender happens when you are not. So you cannot surrender. This is why surrender cannot be a technique. You cannot surrender. You are the hindrance. When you are not, surrender is there. So you and surrender cannot cohabit. There is no coexistence between you and surrender. Either you are or surrender is. So find out where you are, who you are. This inquiry creates many, many surprising results. Raman Maharishi used to say, inquire who am I? It was misunderstood. Even his nearest disciples have not understood the meaning of it. They think that this is an inquiry to find out really who am I. It is not. If you go on inquiring who am I, you are bound to come to the conclusion that you are not. This is not really an inquiry to find out who am I. This is an inquiry to dissolve. There is going to be no answer. It is only that the question will dissolve. There is not going to be an answer that you are this. Only the question will dissolve. There will be no one to ask even who am I. And then you know. When the I is not, the real I opens. When the ego is not, you are for the first time encountering your being. That being is void. Then you can surrender. Then you have surrendered. You are surrendered now. So there can be no techniques. Or only negative techniques. Like this inquiry into who am I. This is the end of the second episode. And we are going to have our second technique. That The title is. Watch the turning point between two breaths. It is the same as the last technique, but with a slight difference. The emphasis is now not on the gap, but on the turning. The outgoing and ingoing breath make a circle. Remember, these are not two parallel lines. We always think of them as two parallel lines. Breath. Going in and breath going out. Do you think that these two are parallel lines? They are not. Breath going in is half the circle, breath going out is the other half of the circle. So understand this. First, breathing in and out creates a circle. They are not parallel lines because parallel lines never meet anywhere. Secondly, the breath coming in and the breath going out are not two breaths. They are one breath. The same breath which comes in goes out. So it must have a turn inside. It must turn somewhere. There must be a point where the incoming breath becomes outgoing. Why put such an emphasis upon turning? Realize the turns... And you will realize the self. In Japan, they have a particular type of meditation which they call Zazen. The word Zazen in Japan means just sitting doing nothing. No movement is allowed. One is just sitting like a statue, dead, not moving at all. But there is no need to sit like a statue for years together. If you can observe the turn of your breath Without any movement of the mind, you will enter. You will enter into yourself or enter into the beyond within. Why are these turnings so important? They are important because on turning, the breath leaves you to move in a different direction. It was with you when it was coming in. It will be with you again when it goes out. But at the turning point, it is not with you. And you are not with it. In that moment, the breath is different from you. You are different from it. If breathing is life, then you are dead. If breathing is your body, then you are nobody. If breathing is your mind, then you are no mind. In that moment. You can listen the whole podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Facebook, and Telegram. Follow us on this application for more subjects and guests.